Okay, well, I think we better get going. Looks like it's 2 o'clock. It, and it's just like church, isn't it? You say that same thing at church and everyone keeps going. Sometimes during uh, communion, I'll say to folks, hey, why don't you just turn around to the person sitting next to you and greet them and say hello. T- take 60 seconds. You know, and six minutes later, hello, we are still trying to do things up here. If you could. Anyway, welcome, everyone. Um, my name is Kevin Reed, and I am the preaching minister at the East County Church of Christ, or I have been for the past 18 months or so. And I want to share with you a little bit about our journey of art in worship, a little bit about what we've done, a little bit about why we do it. Um, But before we get into that, let me do some housekeeping things first. Uh, The first thing I want to mention is it is is dim in here. All the lights, except for the emergency light, are off here. And I recognize the risk that I am taking by doing that. (laughs) Because if you are like me, if you get warm, and comfortable and well-fed, right? And you sit down in a desk and someone turns the lights out, that is, uh, well, that's a recipe for uh, turning the lights out. But I, I want us to do it because I want us to be able to see the art that we're going to be viewing. And so I even have these two shades down. So this is a class that probably would work a lot better at early in the morning or uh, maybe late in the evening. It has a sort of contemplative feel to it. Uh, But here we are at 2 o'clock on Friday afternoon when we are all very (laughs) tired. And uh, we're going to try and have a contemplative moment together. So we will see how this goes. Maybe maybe some other time I will request a different time slot. But anyway, we're going to receive what we've been given and claim it as a gift, which is part of what I want to say to us today. We're going to take whatever it is we've been given and we are going to claim that as a gift and see where it leads. This week has been like that for me. Um, From the very moment we got here, my buddy Aaron drove me here and he saw that I was up at Dresher. And we got in the car and he said, so sorry, buddy, because you are are eight miles up the road there and there is no convenient way. So, you know, I carry my backpack with my entire room in it all day long because it's, you know, difficult to make it back and forth. And yet, and yet, in an effort to receive what I've been given as a gift, I stand out there on the deck right in front of that apartment, look at that ocean and say, no, I'm the lucky one. Or at least that's what I keep telling myself. We'll see if I can convince myself by the time I leave. Um, And it's also, this is my first year to come to Harbor. And I don't know a lot of people here. And so every time I go into, say, the, um, the cafeteria there, I'm that kid in high school who's, you know, who's entering in the cafeteria. I don't know anyone. I'm looking around at tables just trying to see who I might sit by. And I keep telling myself, receive whatever you're given as a gift. Be open to what you might receive. And, and in fact, it has been a fairly wonderful experience. That first day that I had a meal in the cafeteria, there was this lovely lady named Nova. I didn't ask her how old she is, right? That's not something we do. I've got a decent guess. She's not, she's not young. You know, she is up in, in ages. And she was talking with me about their life and giving me a description that stereotypically I was saying, okay, it sounds to me very conservative, Midwest, Church of Christ background. And then she sits with me in the very first class and afterwards opens up to me about how we can be welcoming to those people who don't look, act, or behave like all the rest of us in church. How we can create space for that. And all of a sudden, this given that sat next to me at breakfast becomes a gift to my life, inspiring me about, boy, it, it, is, it is in fact possible to stay open and good and true as we get older, a gift. I met a guy named Tom. He, he's actually my sweet mate up in Dresher. And if you've been in Dresher, you know that they have a little sink uh, or a little bathroom area that we share. We each have our own room, but we share a bathroom there. And there's two sinks. So he's shaving at one sink. I'm brushing my teeth at the other. And we're sort of eyeing one another. You know, we're you know, we're in towels and t-shirts and trying not to look too closely at one another, but we're there's something, there's something there. And so he's he's real gregarious and he starts talking and asking me what I'm doing. And he heard that um, I had served in administration at a little school up in Portland called Columbia Christian Schools. And he said, uh, you have a connection, yes, that's great. He said, um, wait a second, is your name Kevin? And I said, yeah. He said, Kevin Reed? I said, yeah. He said, 
Remember like a year ago when you were stepping out of the role and you were hiring a new president to come and take over and you called the guy like 15 times and interviewed him and Skyped with him? Said, yeah, you mean Tom Sibley? He said, yeah, Tom Sibley, standing right there next to me. Aaron's making me feel bad about Drescher. I'm receiving gifts by being up there. I said, I said, sorry about the walk. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, another colorful language. But yes, it was something like that, Aaron. I was, um, I was standing out in the courtyard not far from here. And, I, you know, I was by myself for a moment, and Caitlin walks up to me and says, Hi, I, I heard that your mom had passed recently. And I share that with you. My mother-in-law passed recently. And she opened up space for me to share for just a moment. And I start getting teary. And she joins me and starts getting teary as well. And that moment that was given to me becomes gift. I sat by George. I met two Georges this week. One of them, I won't say his last name because what he told me was personal. I sat by him at lunch and he said his son has nowhere to go to church because the churches he's tried to go to don't welcome him. And I won't go into his details. And he said, and by the way, my son lives in this real small town up in Oregon called uh, Gresham. Gresham, you've ever heard of Gresham? I said, I live in Gresham. I preach in Gresham. And your son, Russell, has a place in our congregation. So he called his son right then and there and said, I'm sitting here with a guy named Kevin. And he'd love to have coffee with you. And Russell said, bring him on. So next Tuesday, we're meeting for coffee. All because I'm the kid in high school with the tray who doesn't know where to sit. And I tell myself, receive the given as a gift. And see what you receive through it. You see, not everything in life can be explained. There's not an answer for everything. There's not just a simple rule for everything. But I forget that all the time because I've spent my life in academia. I taught for several years at Cascade College in the Bible department. I read all the time. I love academics. And yet, not everything can be answered academically. Some things you just have to dive into. And you discover something there that's a gift beyond description at times. And in part, that's what I want to offer up for you in this class. Okay, I'm not even to the introduction yet, so maybe I better get going on that part. I welcome you to this class, uh, Seeing the Word, Art in Worship. And we'll come back to this image. I'll say more about it a little bit later. Um, my disclaimer, as far as introductions go, is this. I have a good friend named Rachel Mears, who did this extraordinary PhD at Cambridge University. And the PhDs at Cambridge, you have to write a document that's 80 to 100,000 words long on whatever topic you choose. You know, you gotta be an expert on your one topic. And my friend Rachel chose the topic silence. And I gotta tell you, we got no end of mileage out of the joke that she has to write 100,000 words about silence. You know, sort of an ironic thing. And now I feel like in some sense the joke is back on me in this moment. As I tell you about art in worship, I'm telling you this is something beyond words. It matters because it's not words. And now I'm going to yak at you for a while about art in worship. And there is an irony there. And I just want to acknowledge it and put it out there. I, I don't know any other way into it other than a couple experiential things I want to do with you in just a moment. So I am aware that I'm going to talk a lot about something that's beyond words, um, but I hope it works for us. So we'll see how it goes. Okay, there's enough prolegomena. Um, I, uh, it's not enough. One more thing. I, receiving <laughs> receiving the, the given as a gift. The, the other day, I've been paying attention to other people who are doing art-type stuff here. And I saw, and a few of you were there, I saw this, um, this great description of a class called uh, liturgical dance. And I thought, oh, this is going to be great. She's going to give me a bunch of good tips, you know, that I can use in my thoughts. I'm thinking academics, thoughts, ideas. And so I enter, and I do notice I'm the only man in the room, you know, for a moment. And then two of my friends here show up. But for the time being, I was the only guy in the room. And uh, no one else has a notebook out. But I get my notebook out. I've got my pen out, you know, cross my leg, and I'm, I'm ready to take notes on liturgical dance. And she sees me, 
And she's sort of talking about it, and she says, now, how many of you uh, read the description of the class? You know, and a bunch of people raised their hand, and she said, how many didn't? And I raised up my hand, and I could see in her eyes, she said, thought so. <laughs> this, this wasn't a class about theory. We were going to be doing liturgical dance. <laughs> I was planning my escape route. As she was doing the introduction, I thought, I'm too far into it now. And so just tried to receive what was given as a gift. And I'm not fully embarrassed to say, I did dance. Come on now. And, and even wept just a little bit. I'm a little embarrassed about that part, but I did weep just a little bit. <laughs> receiving this gift that was just given to me. And I hope art can be that for us as well. Beyond words I can describe with it, that it can be a gift for us and for our churches. So let us, um, let us have a moment of prayer if we will. And what I want to invite you to do, again, there's a little danger in this. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and be silent for a moment. What I want to ask you to do is for just these 48 minutes remaining, let everything that's outside these doors be outside. For just this moment, enter into this space as fully as you feel able to and see what this given can be for you. What gift it can offer to you. So I'll give you a couple seconds of silence, then I'll say a prayer, and then we will move on. So will you join me in prayer? May the eyes of our heart be enlightened, Lord, that we may see your glory. Amen. Okay. Here is what I would like to do to start. Um, this last Sunday at the East County Church of Christ, we, uh, we read John chapter 20. And I want to read John chapter 20 with you. I chose it for the sole reason that... Do, do we need an extra chair back here? Oh, there's one up here. Okay. Um, I chose this passage for the sole reason that it was what we used in church last week. There's no sig deep significance to this particular passage. I'm just using it because we used it last Sunday. And what I'm going to invite you to do is hear this passage from John chapter 20. It's a familiar story. You'll remember the characters, Thomas in particular. And I want you, as you hear this passage, just to receive it. Uh, go ahead and pay attention to any word that stands out to you. Hold on to it if you can or set of words, hold on to them. Or if it's a word outside the text, but it speaks to you about what this passage is saying, hold on to it. Um, and then we're gonna come back to that in a moment. So enter into John 20 with me, and then we'll move into an art moment as well. But let's begin with this. Verses 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. He is risen, they declared. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nail in his hands and put my finger in the mark and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were, sh were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. 
But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. Grab a word. A word from the passage, a word the passage brings to mind. Hold on to it for a moment. And if you feel comfortable, um, maybe we should do this in an orderly fashion, but if you feel comfortable, let's share these out loud just a little bit. You don't have to offer any commentary on it, and there's no expectations and nothing we're searching for here. What word did you hold on to? Life. Life. Breathed. Peace. Peace. Unless I see. Unless I see. Believe. Believe. Twin. Twin. You may come. You may come. Locked. 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 Mark of the nail. Mm. Mark of the nail. That's good. Hold on to those for just a moment, if you will. Now, I want to do something. I want to show you an image. And all I'm going to ask you to do is to enter into it. What I mean by that, if that's esoteric language, all I mean is look at it. Pay attention to what you notice first. Allow your eyes to follow any natural progression they want to follow, but pay attention to where you start, pay attention to where you go and where you end, and just look at it. Don't look at it with any sort of intimidation, like there's something I'm meant to be getting here, am I not getting it, you know, is everyone else? Nothing like that. Just enter into the image. Allow it to be part of your story for just a moment. And see if there's a a word that might be evoked out of it. It does not need to be the same word from the passage. Just see if there's a word that's evoked out of it. I think the scene will be very familiar for you. I'm going to give you 60 seconds, which is probably going to feel like five minutes, but I'm going to give you 60 seconds of silence just to gaze upon the image. the image up there for a moment and let me ask you what word comes to comes to mind here please invasive invasive wonder wonder yeah you gross <laughs> yes yes did the artist mean that he, maybe so Others, what word comes to mind? Affirmation. Affirmation. Vulnerable. Vulnerable. Ripped. Ripped. Furrowed. Furrowed. Curiosity. Curiosity. Sharing. Sharing. Raw. Raw. Hmm. Regret. Regret. Intimate. Hmm. Intimate. 
Embarrassment. Embarrassment. Hmm. Compassion. Hmm. Compassion. Curiosity. Curiosity. Embarrassment. Curiosity. Oh, that's good. Thank you. Thanks for entering into that. Stay with the image here for just a moment. I'm going to do one more thing with this particular image and with the passage. I want to hear the passage one more time. And this time, I'm not going to give you the words to follow along with. Um, You're just going to hear the words. As you hear the words, go ahead and continue gazing upon the image here. And then after that, I'm going to move just beyond a single word. And I'm going to want us to reflect just a little bit on what we hear at the intersection of God's word and this particular 17th century painting. Hear the word of the Lord. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to him again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. Now, for this third time we engage this text, this image, and now together at this intersection, here's what I would like to ask you to do. I want to reflect a little bit just on the picture. You do not have to have a bachelor's degree in art history to do this. You are just welcome to reflect as you have received. Pay attention to what you have received. In fact, that is the most important part. What have you received? Part of what I want to say to you is this, because I want you to talk, but I want you to talk freely. We receive way more than we can articulate. And we are not trying to solve a puzzle here. As if there's some mystery, and if we just uncover it enough, then we'll finally have the ultimate right answer. Instead, we are entering into a mystery that's called beauty. And behind that beauty stands beauty with a capital B, and we call that our God. Psalm 27 reminds us. So you're entering into this, not trying to solve anything, but simply to receive and to whatever capacity we have, articulate a bit that you have received for the edification of one another and yourself. So let's reflect just a little bit. Tell me about this picture. Tell me what has struck you beyond just a single word. Again, you don't have to give a long commentary, but feel free, let us... Listen to one another. The compassion of Christ about our doubts. Say again. The compassion of Christ about our doubts. Oh, this compassion that you're seeing in the face. There is not, there's not anger. There's not blame. There's, there's almost a sadness of sorts, but a welcoming sadness, if that can make some sense. That's good. And what, what did you notice as well? 
Crust's forehead is smooth and just the layers and layers mm. of wrinkles of worry mm. in them. Um, I feel that. Yes. You're living with the anxiety of it. Oh, absolutely. But what a wonderful observation that on Christ's head, the wrinkles are gone. Are they not? It's interesting. This is the resurrected Christ. So you hope there's not a great deal of anxiety, but, but the wrinkles are gone. And yet those humans, they're still here. And those wrinkles are present. What are the wrinkles calling us to? What are they saying? Those are rhetorical questions, but good. Thank you. It's unclear to me whether Jesus's hand is guiding it in or, or stopping it from going in further. Yes. Like, yes. Is he, is he pulling? Is he pushing? What is yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly? This is what the artist like, wants you to see. Far enough, Tom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I said I said look and touch. I didn't say invade. Yes, it's interesting. You know, another interesting thing about the hand here. For a moment, for just a brief moment, it's not immediately obvious whose hand that yeah. is guiding Thomas's hand. That's what struck me at first, but then I think that you can see the nail. You can through there, and so that would make me be like, oh yeah, I think it's Jesus. It is. It's Jesus' hand, for sure. You cannot tell which way it's going. But there's a wonderful thing this artist has done in, could it be, let's say that's Peter and John or James. Is one of them saying, see what I told you? Or, or is, it, is it Jesus? Is one of them pulling it out saying, don't do that? Or is it Jesus? That's oh, interesting. Showing direction. Yeah. Yeah. Showing direction. Yes, please. I was just thinking... He could be steadying his hand because I don't think I would be very sure of myself just go poking into <laughs> anybody's side. Yes. He could be steadying it and saying, it's okay. Mm. Inviting him into the wounds that Thomas is perhaps frightened of. Absolutely. Enter into these wounds with me. My hand would be shaking as well. My son, he leapt one time and hit his head just wrong, and it made a gash. You know, he was two or three years old, and as we carried him to the hospital, my hands shaking for my child who was wounded, my beloved who was wounded. Yes, maybe, maybe. Good, others, what do you see? Yes, please. Well, I'm so distressed by the gash and the is on, up on his left shoulder there. And I thought that's interesting. It maybe the artist is just showing that they are just poor, ordinary men. Okay. But then I thought, well, you know, Jesus has a tear in his side and mm-hmm. Thomas has a tear in his clothing. There may be something going on here that the artist is foreshadowing. Oh. You two will receive the wow. same. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's good. And we are all going to participate in this crucifixion in some way or another. Okay. But his is all sanitary right now. Right. Oh, it is interesting. It's sanguine, but in a, in a weird way. There is no blood here. Perhaps on his hands, but, but the, the side's not oozing stuff that would really make my stomach turn. And you know, another thing I thought of as soon as I saw, I have a daughter from Ethiopia, and she didn't come to live with us until she was 13. So she's got a whole life over there. And yeah. She lived in a very primitive Style. And so when, when she cuts herself, not very often, of course, but it's deep enough, she'll go, oh, that's my meat. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Could we use a different word, it. please? Yeah. Not, right. the muscles. She's like, oh, I see my meat. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what I thought. When yeah. I was like, oh, it's Jesus' meat. You know, I thought, I've been crying so long. That was my first thought. Right. And that just makes Ugh. it so visceral and gut wrenching. It's like you want to look at it, but you don't. Cause it's so yes. <laughs> Somehow you're drawn into it, right? <laughs> yes, what an astute observation. I don't want to, and yet somehow I'm compelled into this. I don't really want the wound, and yet I'm compelled into it. I don't want to carry the wound, and yet I can't help myself. There's some attraction here. 
Thanks. Yes, please. I'm looking at the other two disciples up there and thinking they are. Yes. They've already seen Jesus. A week ago, they had their encounter. But it, they may not have touched him. Mm. And so here's the doubter who was not in the room, and now maybe he's the one who's helping them experience the fullness of the resurrection. Mm. And the way they're looking with just such intense focus, even the way that Thomas is. Right. And uh, and then the other thing I noticed is Thomas's eyes look. Ooh. Uh, like almost Ooh, like the wind yes. itself, empty and hollow. And right. So I wonder what if I couldn't tell if that was just the right. maybe the darkness. Of right, the right. It's difficult. And, yes. Yeah. Or if that was intentional. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Both of those things. There is. Um, there's something about these disciples. A week ago, they had their moment. Yeah. He said, "Look at the wounds. See my side." And yet here they are with as much or more curiosity. Yeah. Than Thomas. Yeah. Oh, I already have faith. I don't have any doubt. I'm going to look real close, though, and just yeah. see, just to make sure what we got here is the risen Jesus. It made me think of First John, where it says that which we've seen and which our hands have touched. Oh. So. Yes, the very physical nature of what is going on here. And Thomas's eye. I regret that this image isn't as sharp as it would be if we were viewing this image live, if it was sitting here before us. So that you could see Thomas's eye, because there is indeed something a little creepy about it. It, it is not looking at the wound. What is that eye doing? Staring. We'll we'll come back to that in a moment. Yeah, please. I, just to kind of piggyback off of what Mark was saying, I was drawn to the non-empathetic visage of the disciples. Mm. That. The, the other two in particular? All three of them. them. Non-empathy in all three of them. It almost feels like we're just trying to prove the physical. Mm. Mm. Right? I can't celebrate in the spiritual win until I've proved the physical. Mm. And then you've got this opposite look of Jesus, which is the Almost. Oh, guys. We're still doing this. Again, there does appear to be a touch of sadness in Jesus' face. And perhaps the sadness is you're still holding on to something that is so much more transcendent than what you're acknowledging even in this moment. But, But Jesus doesn't say no which is extraordinary in that moment. You're not there. You're not transcendent yet. Well, if you're here, reach into my flesh. If that's where you're at, hold on. Yeah, yeah good good thoughts. Thank you. Please. Uh, let's go in the back and then up to Caitlin. I was going to say, I think the artist did a really good job of making Jesus look like he had been dead. Oh. Uh, he's very saddled. Oh, he, he is. The pallor on his skin. Yeah, he doesn't look all that healthy, but yet, to me, his face does look peaceful. But he looks like, yeah, I was dead for a while. Yeah. <laughs> He does. Oh, it's an extraordinary observation. And in just a moment, I'll tell you a little bit about the artist technique in particular that surely must be meant to emphasize this is a man from the grave. Okay. And just behind her? Yes. And then I was up. just thinking, uh, again, the, the door was locked. Thomas's mind was locked. This is almost like he's poking his finger in the keyhole. Oh. He's trying to unlock his mind. He's trying to unlock the door from the outside. And to do that is have to see how deep does this go? It's deeper than a little rip in his shirt. Mm-hmm. He's been ripped. Mm-hmm. But this is deeper. And he's almost unlocking his mind uh, by seeing the depth of that wound. There's something here that's deeper beyond Open this moment that is that is opened up for him in this encounter that has to do with the physical act, but so much more than that. You shall love me with all of your heart and your soul and your strength and your mind. Something more is being unlocked here for that to occur. Oh, good. Thanks. Caitlin, do you have something? Yeah. um, To me, if I take a big step back, the whole image looks like a wound. Mm. Um, the darkness, the, the blood, 
Um, and then where the light is is really fascinating to me because it could be it could be anywhere. Right, right. Thinking of the Leonard Cohen quote, "The wound is where the light gets in." Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely mm. what I see in this image. Yes. It is striking that this light is not natural. No. You can't imagine any light source mm-hmm. making this right. type of scene. Yeah. And so it's not unnatural, mm-hmm. but it's not natural either. There is something supernatural and natural all at one moment here. And what a wonderful memory of Leonard Cohen's line. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Thanks. Others' reflections on this? Please, yeah. I have such a mixture of emotions. It's like a, it's a very dark mm. picture, and so it's, I feel extremely sad mm-hmm. and depressed looking at it, and yet this anxious excitement at the same time. It's mm. a really anxious good place excitement. To be because it's so dark and sad, but then there's like little glimmers of of like hope like they're it's kind of like you know kids like one of their friends gets really really hurt and it's disgusting and it's like let me see that and it's like, <laughs> you know, like that they're just they're like seeing their friends well dude you just yes. came back from the dead this is crazy and gross yes you know? yes and so there's like there's this little bit of hope but it's it's really shrouded for me like i feel just this heaviness mm. like it's a shrouded kind of it's weird. I don't know. I yes. A shrouded hope. What an extraordinary mm-hmm. image. A shrouded hope present in this moment. I think I can sympathize with that. Please. I've been looking at the, um, the disciple right behind Thomas, and uh, maybe it's just me, but there looks like a striking resemblance between him and Thomas. Like mm. The nose is the same. <laughs> yes. You know? And the fact that Thomas was called the twin mm. just makes me wonder. I mean, we certainly don't have any information. Right, about it, but right. Or if, if uh, the artist intended to do something like that. Yeah. There's something about Thomas that is twinned in, in probably everyone present. There is in Thomas himself the twin faith and doubt. And in each of these people, there seems to be something they're sharing in common. Maybe blood relationship, maybe something more as well. Again, that twinned faith and doubt that's all wrapped up in one human being. Yeah, good observation. Mike? What I notice is what's missing. Like, Jesus isn't grimacing. Okay. Which is uncomfortable as we are looking at it. Yes. To think of being the one on the receiving end. Yes, like yes. And so there's something to me stressing that his sacrifice isn't painful to mm. right? Yeah, yeah. We want to declare, ouch, it feels like it. I want to say it. I'm feeling it. In fact, I often, often half wondered if Thomas's left hand is saying, oh, that hurts my side touching your side. Yes. Your wounds are becoming my wounds something like that and but jesus in the midst of it these wounds are who i am this is what i've been trying to teach you all along in some sense this wasn't a detour this is me okay good yes please i really like what you said about um, him grasping his side Mm. Because what I noticed in my attempt to avert my gaze yes. from the wound, because yes. I'm also very turned off by yes, it. Yes, right? Um, and there's something purposeful about that. Yes. No doubt the artist is saying, okay, <laughs> what, what is happening here? He's asking us a question, many questions. That's got to be part of it. <laughs> well, so I also noticed the tear, but I noticed that underneath the scarlet is white. Mm. And that drew me back to Jesus. Right. And he's wearing a white robe. Yes. Um, and to me, it reminded me of... Uh, we are being renewed day by day into the image of Christ. Hmm. And then also, um, one of the songs I love to sing at our church is, I want to know Christ and the power of his rising, hmm. share in his suffering, conform to his death. Yes. And this grasping of the side, oh. to me, is so reflective of that. Like He's sharing in the death of Christ, um, the red on top of, a, of his undergarment, which is white. Yes. Because uh, we know, we want, we know uh, from early church lore that 
tongues will be martyred. Mm. And it's like the removal of outer clothes are meant to be eventually removed, mm. and it will reveal that white underneath, yeah. just like Jesus. Mm. Yeah, really beautiful thoughts on what's happening here with Thomas, all stemming from that that moment of white inside. And what amazing words that we sing from Paul. I mean, do, who means that? I want to be conformed to your death. That was no part of my conscious prayers today, right? I'll sing the words. If Randy writes a song about it, I'll talk about it, right? But it is no part of what I want in my life. And yet, and yet, maybe even Thomas is asking a question of us. Something about conforming to his death. Yes, please. Um, something I've noticed just about like, the, the blocking and where they're all standing. And how they're, like, all kind of yes, like, yes. There is an architectural arc here that is almost like a seashell. Yes, yeah. please. And, and bunched in. It just gives this feeling of like, well, first of all, sort of off topic, but like, that drew my attention. In. That's kind of what I thought the focal point was. Just mm. like the heads are all. Yes. And it kind of makes you think, like, what are they all looking at? Like, what's the Right. Like? And then you see, you know, like, oh, that's a big deal. Yes. And it, but it also, the way he's like, Of uncovering it is like he's not showing it to everybody. He's not just mm-hmm. like, hey guys, check it out. These are my wounds. Right. He's like, hey guys, come close. I'm just going to show you really quick. Like, mm. it's just very, like, I don't know, to me, it displays like the that there is a personal relationship they are eager for with Christ, but more importantly, Christ is eager for with them. He wants them close, close enough to smell the wound. Look at how tightly packed they're here. And there is no division. It is absolute unity around that wound. As difficult as that wound may be, there's absolute unity drawing them into it. Something about that wound is their very identity. Yeah, please. Um, so that comment, and then thinking about, um, I think in Richard Rohr, I think it's falling upward, or maybe the one about the Trinity. I don't remember which one it okay. is. But he's talking about the painting of uh, Abraham and the Three Visitors. Oh, yes, and yes. And Rube, there's, on that icon, there's yes. what appears to be originally put there was maybe a mirror, mm-hmm. so that you see that you're yourself and the icon as, right. as participating right. with the Trinity, which then made me think that guy on the top looks way older than everybody else. So mm-hmm. is there a father, son, spirit? Mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, I don't like that because I like if the spirit's uh, more female, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> right. but, right. but, but then I thought, okay, right. are we making an assumption that these are intended to be disciples? And maybe the mm-hmm. artist said they are disciples and mm-hmm. that's fine, but mm-hmm. that just all of a sudden it's kind of like, well, that's kind of a neat thought too. Yes, and drew you down that path back yeah. to other images that have struck you mm-hmm. and, and of course shaped you. Because the fact is what you see is what you learn to desire. Mm-hmm. Think about every billboard you see as you drive down to Los Angeles, teaching you what to desire. Teaching you either to desire something you are not, or to desire the thing on the picture. But teaching you what to desire. This image, no doubt, is meant to draw us in and teach us what to desire, to imagine those things like the Trinity. To desire this, even if we might have preferred different genders as we go through it. Sure. That's very good. Now, let me ask you this. Thank you for your reflections on that. Uh, let me ask you this. Does this picture look familiar to anyone? Has anyone ever come across it before? It's no big deal if you haven't, but looks familiar to a couple. Um, this image is from Caravaggio, and he titled, the, titled it, obviously, The Incredulity of St. Thomas. This guy was 30 years old when he painted this sermon. 30 years old. Uh, Caravaggio, you may know a little bit about him, but let me tell you just a bit about the artist to draw us in. Caravaggio is known by his birthplace. His born name, his given name, is Michelangelo Morisi. Problem is, there was another guy that you might have heard of named Michelangelo at the time. So this guy got Caravaggio instead. I've, I've often thought in my mind, what a bummer. I wonder if he hated it. I love Caravaggio. What a cool name, right? But I'm starting to imagine, well, 
what if there's another Kevin in Portland and that guy gets Kevin and I get Portland? We're just going to call you Portland. That's sort of what happened here. So he's known as Caravaggio. Uh, he was born September 29th in 1571. Not yet 31 years old as he painted this picture. His art had a revolutionary character to it. Caravaggio was the first person to say, I'm done with those idealized human bodies I see in all of your Renaissance paintings. What I need is humanity in all its flesh. And so he began to paint with just real life people off the street. These are human beings he lived near. And he put them into these moments, somehow saying, the natural is more than natural. These commoners are more than common. And he puts them in a divine moment like this. Caravaggio's most famous, however, not simply for doing away with the idealized human bodies that were painted so often. You imagine them. Uh, you've seen them before. His other guy named Michelangelo, you've seen the paintings, right? Mm -hmm. that, that guy's arm... <laughs> You know, although it seems wonderful to have that many muscles, I'm not sure you could move your arm, right? Like there's not that many muscles on your body. Although I should say Michelangelo was very careful about his painting, but not with Caravaggio. He gives you just a regular human body here. But the second thing that he does, and you guys have highlighted this several times, he had this technique that was imitated many times after him called chiaroscuro. And what that is, it's this play of light and dark in his images. The light never comes from a source that you can identify, as we talked about a few moments ago. It always comes from some supernatural source. And it highlights where your attention's meant to be drawn so that immediately you look at Christ and you sort of follow him around because the light leads you up there and then you're reflected off the bald head up there, back down to Christ, where you begin and end with this extraordinary technique. Caravaggio himself, I'll just say a little bit about him. Caravaggio himself was a bit of a scoundrel. He was hot-tempered. He regularly was seen in public with his sword drawn. He got in so much trouble, he moved four or five times just to escape the law. In fact, his final move was from Rome when he was looked for for the murder of a friend. Caravaggio was 39 years old when he died outside of Rome, lonely and by himself, abandoned. And yet somehow in the midst of this man, who is no saint, no hero whatsoever, God's beauty shines through. And he gives us this. Somehow he becomes a broken hallelujah indeed. One of the things that's most striking about this image, we've mentioned it already, and I'm really grateful for your comments, right? There is no answer to what we're looking for. But something that's very striking about this image includes both that tear in Thomas's arm right here and Thomas's position. I want you to imagine for a moment that you were going to examine someone's body. I'm thinking if the person is standing in front of you, you are squared up to that person. If you need to bend down, you're bending <coughs> towards that person, right? It just makes sense. When I carried my son, when he had the gash in his head, as I spoke of a moment ago, I was right there down in him. My whole body was directed toward him. <coughs> and Thomas, you suddenly realize, has this extraordinarily awkward pose. Now, either he's a bit fearful, either there's something he's drawing back from, or that eye, coming back to that creepy eye one more time. His body's not engaged like this. He's pulled his arm back. He's opened up his shoulder. And that eye, if I, and again, I wish you could see it carefully, but maybe afterward you can come up and look real close. That eye is staring at you. He is looking at you. If you look up too close, again, it will spook you just a little bit because this whole time this guy's been staring at you as you've been looking at him. You thought it was about the picture. It turns out, Thomas says, this is a question for you. What will you believe? 
that little tear that's right here. It does, and what a great observation that you guys made, it does match that wound almost identically. There is something about that wound that is now part of Thomas. And do you guys remember the Gospel of John in chapter 11? Jesus has a critical moment, and Thomas in particular has a prescient moment where he sees the future before anybody else does. In John chapter 11, Jesus had just escaped from the Jews who were trying to stone him. The stones were in his hand, in their hands, and he somehow escaped, the text says, and gets away from them. He's outside of Judea, and the first thing he says to his disciples in chapter 11, let us go back there right now. And the disciples freak out. The disciples freak out because they do not want to go back. And they say, Master, Rabbi, Teacher, they were just trying to kill you. Why in the world would you go back to them? All of them say that except for one of them. This is on one of Thomas's three appearances in the Gospel of John. Here's the first one. In John chapter 11, what Thomas says instead is this. Let us go also with him. That is that we may die with him. Nobody understood what the cross was about. Everyone felt it was a detour. You remember what Jesus, when he said, I'm going to suffer. You remember what Peter said? As Paul would say, Meganoito, no way, by no means. And you remember what Jesus says back to him? Get behind me, Satan. You cannot accept my cross, my very identity. You don't have a part in this kingdom. But Thomas somehow in John chapter 11 sees something that nobody else sees. The cross is not a detour in Jesus' identity. The cross is Jesus' identity. He's the only one who bears the wound because he's the only one so far who understands. You know, it's interesting. When he says, I won't believe, he doesn't simply say, I won't believe in the resurrection. That's not what he says. He doesn't say, I don't believe in resurrection. I don't believe someone could come back to life. What he says is, unless I see the wounds, that's not Jesus. Have you ever thought about the fact that when you imagine a resurrected body, I do not imagine the scar on my son's Cohen, Cohen's head. I imagine that's going to be gone. No broken arm for my 16-year-old. That is going to be healed. The resurrected body is perfected, I imagine. And Jesus, in Caravaggio's painting, is resurrected. In John's text, is resurrected with his wounds. Isn't that striking? His wounds follow him into eternal glory. Why is that? Something that John and Caravaggio want us to see, certainly here is that the wounds are his identity from the beginning and all eternity. This man is self-sacrificial love, and Thomas saw it. And now Thomas opens up his body to us. And he said, is this a Christ you can believe in? Is this a resurrected Lord that you could welcome? He asks, not himself, all of us, can you too believe in a crucified Lord? Is that the Lord you will follow? As Sarah Barton put it last night, the unking of the unkingdom? Is this the Lord you will follow? And all of this becomes Caravaggio's sermon. The beauty of this moment, this piece of art, is this. It simultaneously does four things for us, and you guys have hit them all, but now let me make them explicit. It does four things for us, and that is this. Number one, it speaks of the word. Let me give you four prepositions. It speaks of the word. It just tells us that story that happened in John chapter 20. There is a real usefulness in art because it, it speaks a word to us, right? You are imagining the scene anyway. Caravaggio uses his extraordinary gifts to enhance our imagination, but it draws us back into John chapter 20. That is a real usefulness to art. When, art, when, when scripture becomes stale in any fashion to you, art draws you back in, in this extraordinarily visceral fashion. And this is a great example of that. But it does more than that. It also speaks not simply of the word, but beneath the word. What I mean is depth to the word. 
Caravaggio was wanting to say something about what Thomas did in John chapter 11, recognizing the wounds. And so he gives this little mark of the wound right here that might mean more than that, but at least this. Remember, remember this man in John 20 is that man from John 11 who got it before anyone else did. And the art draws that out for us in this brilliant, visceral fashion. So art helps us because it speaks of the word. It speaks beneath the word. But you know what art also does? It speaks alongside the word. That is, we have that passage from John chapter 20, and there is zero indication those other disciples were doubting along with Thomas, right? That's not in the passage. What Caravaggio has done in his sermon here, however, is he has said that mixture of faith and doubt, it's not so uncommon. It's not so uncommon among those disciples who seem to be wanting to see if this is real as well. It's not uncommon among you too. But know this, Jesus invites you in even as you carry that doubt. There's something there that's speaking alongside in addition to the word that's useful as we imagine who we are meant to be as Christ's disciples. So it speaks of, it can speak beneath, it can speak alongside, and let me give you this last preposition. It's the, it's the most complex, I suppose. Art speaks within the word. And here's what I mean by that. This speaks within John chapter 20 in ways that you and I could not articulate with words. Something is happening here. Your desires are being shaped. Your heart is being formed. You are receiving more than your mind knows. The heart has reasons, Pascal said, that the mind does not know. Art allows for that space in our worship time. It allows us to say, this is not just an intellectual game we're playing. As fun and clever as preachers can be, as they tell us stories about sermons and all that, it is not simply an intellectual game we're playing. This is meant to transform your entire being. And the beauty of art, as I hope you've experienced here, is that it does that for you. It draws you in in that way, speaks within the word in ways you could not articulate. And again, that is part of the beauty of using art in worship. I suppose what I want to say ultimately is something like this. Um, I told you earlier that Caitlin and I shared sorrow over lost loved ones. I have four young children. My mother lived with me, and she passed away recently. And my children, of course, engaged that differently. My 16-year-old, who turned 17 on Sunday, engaged it in one way. My 10-year-old daughter, who wears her heart on her sleeve, you are never mistaken about what she believes and thinks, right? It is always right there. It's both beautiful and difficult all in one. Anyway, my five-year-old son, he's just barely old enough to understand what's happening. He knows grandma's in the family room, and he knows she's dying. We have told him that. But he doesn't know where to go with it, or at least I don't see that he knows where to go with it. And so on March 27th, as she passes, surrounded by loved ones and at peace, my five-year-old son goes into the dining room and he starts a month-long process that hasn't ended yet of drawing pictures of his grandmother. He goes in, he paints this image of my mom, he paints a lake, he paints a sun, and just after he passes, he brings it in and shares it with my wife and with me. And he says, this is grandma, all better, diving into a lake of water on a sunny day. He also has this urge to draw pictures of Jesus. The striking urge. He hasn't articulated at all why, but he's drawing pictures of Jesus. One side note, he, he's drawing pictures of baby Jesus, teenage Jesus, and adult Jesus as well. The point being, he's drawing pictures of Jesus. He has not said a single thing to us about Grandma's passing other than, where's Grandma? One time, where's Grandma? But what he has done is engaged in an art that communicates back to me deeper than words. What if we could put that moment into our gathered worship times 
Not just speak word after word after word, but see the word, imbibe the word, drink it in so deeply it drenches our heart, mind, body, and soul. Art has the potential to do that for, the, for us. And this exercise today was meant to give you a glimpse of that, and I hope it was useful for you in some way edifying and encouraging and equipping. Thank you guys so much for being here with us.